Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Today we are talking about being sober curious and I have the perfect guest to bring you for this conversation. Ruby Warrington is the creator of the term sober curious. She's the author of the 2018 book of the same title and her work has spearheaded a global movement to reevaluate our relationship with alcohol. Other works include Material Girl, Mystical World, The Numinous Astro Deck, and The Sober Curious Reset. With 20 and more years experience as a lifestyle journalist and editor, Ruby is also the founder of self-publishing imprint Numinous Books and is known as a true thought leader in the now age wellness space. So Ruby, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Casey. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited. I mentioned that I read your book, Sober Curious, right when it came out. I quit drinking in 2016. So it was about when I was two years sober. 
And then I've been reading it in the lead up to this interview and was underlining and circling every page because there's so much good stuff in there. Thanks for that. It's really, really great to hear that. And it's great that it still resonates for you, you know, a few years down the line, because I mean, if I've learned anything about this path of sobriety, sober curiosity, reevaluation with with the relationship with alcohol recovery, whatever you want to call it, it is that it's a sort of evolutionary path. And I think, I don't know, I feel like I've changed leaps and bounds, like so much, even since I first wrote that book. And certainly since I first got what I now call sober curious, like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I know you've written this sober curious reset since then. So we should absolutely talk about that as well. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on and that this episode is going to fall right in January of the year is because a lot of people take January as a time to take a break from alcohol, right? After the drinking and the year end and New Year's and kind of dry January is a thing that people Mm -hmm. stop for 31 days. So there are probably a lot of women who might be listening to this or in that stage who are sober curious, meaning that they're not sure they want to give up alcohol forever or what that means, but they're interested enough to think that alcohol isn't serving them or to see what that life looks like. Right. Yes. So as you said, dry January has become this phenomenon, really. It launched, I think, in the UK. I can't remember which year it first started circulating there, but I know it's grown sort of exponentially since then. And it, and it's sort of exported to the US a couple of years ago. And already, I think in 2021, I was just reading about this, 23% of Americans who drink regularly participated in dry January last year. And I can only imagine that that number has swelled for 2022. So it'll be interesting to see what statistics are around that. As I we come love this that. Month. Almost a quarter of people who drink regularly are doing right. dry January. I One of the things I love about it is it's just quote unquote, a thing. Like I know years ago, when I was in the office, people were like, oh, I'm doing dry January. So you will no longer be an outlier. Or even if people aren't taking the months off, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know that's something people do. Exactly. And so it's a one of the big barriers to entry for being open about the fact that you're sober curious, questioning your drinking, perhaps wanting to make a change is fear about what other people might say about that. And so having this kind of quote unquote excuse, I'm doing dry January, just kind of takes the pressure off from having to explain yourself and explain all of your reasons, because perhaps you're not even really sure what your reasons are. And that's like totally okay. Maybe you need to be to to spend a bit more time being curious and to experiment and go backwards and forwards and sort of overall, just get more intentional around your drinking before you feel comfortable talking about it. I definitely could relate to that. And so, yes, for that reason, I also am a big fan of initiatives like Dry January. Sober September has also become quite a big thing. Um, There's Dry July, (laughs) Sober Sober October. October. So it's almost like, well, that's four months out of the year. You can kind of like take a break without having to answer too many probing questions about it. So yes, I'm a big fan of Dry January. And for anybody who's doing it, my first sort of piece of advice around a successful Dry January would be to really embrace this as a time to get curious about what your life could be like without alcohol. A lot of the times we approach a break as a bit of a detox. And often we might go into it thinking, well, 
if I can get through a month without drinking, number one, that's a great detox. Number two, that probably cancels out lots of the drinking I might have done last year. Number three, if I can do a month without drinking, that probably means I don't have a problem, right? (laughs) Uh, We can talk about like how I might define problem drinking in a moment. But I think that if you go into it with the, if you're ready to do a dry January, chances are that you've been questioning for a while, is alcohol really serving me? Am I drinking too much? Would it be easy for me to stop? Hard for me to stop? These kinds of questions are all the sorts of questions that somebody who is sober curious might be asking themselves. And oftentimes they're very internal, almost even subconscious questions. But there will come a time when those questions start to demand answers. And so perhaps a dry January is a good time to go, okay, well, I'm actually going to take this opportunity to to look at some of these questions that have been coming up for me around drinking. Yeah. But oftentimes when we think about removing alcohol, whether it's for a month, whether it's for a longer period, or even if it is, you know, removing it for good, we think about exactly that. We're losing out. We're going to be missing out on something. We're losing, we're removing something from our life. I really like to think about it more from the, what am I going to be able to gain by, by not no longer using this substance, by putting this aside, whether it's for a, a shorter period or a longer period. So really thinking about like, what are the things that I actually want to make space for in my life by removing alcohol? I mean, when I look back now, it just, it blows my mind how much time and energy and money I put into my, you know, what looked from the outside, like just kind of normal social drinking. When I think about how many hours of the day I spent thinking about drinking, then how many hours of the week I spent actually under the influence of alcohol, how many hours sleep I lost kind of in those, I'm sure many people can relate to that 3, 4 a.m. kind of waking up, heart pounding, like, ugh. (laughs) And how many mornings have I sort of lost to just even being half hungover? Yeah. You know, all of that time, all of that energy, all of that headspace, all of that physical energy in terms of just the detoxing, the removing alcohol from your system, it really can take its toll, especially when you're living a busy life. You have kids, you have a job, you have a partner, and you have other things that you want to do probably as well. You don't just want to be a mom and a, and a wife and a, and a good employee. You want to have time for yourself as well, right? Um, and so for me, thinking about removing alcohol, automatically I'm thinking about all of the time and energy that that will free up for me to invest in other things. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash someday. 
Yeah, I love that because it is so true. I mean, once you stop drinking, even for 30 days, you know, in the first two weeks, it tends to be really hard, especially if you're, I was a daily drinker, right? So, you know, coming home from work was a trigger to drink, going out to dinner, um, my kids being difficult, a stressful day at work, everything was kind of a trigger to drink. And you have to build that muscle of instituting a new habit, not drinking alcohol during that time. But then after the first week or two weeks, all of a sudden, you have so much more time. You're just like, oh my gosh, I'm not zoned out where I'm not really registering the time or just hung over. So you're not really productive in the morning or you're not going to your workouts or whatever it is. So I love that you said that, you know, you're opening up time, everything you're gaining by not drinking. Absolutely. And it can take longer. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's a sober curious book, Facebook group where people are really vulnerable and really open and really supportive of each other. And half the people will be in there saying, my God, I've only, I quit five days ago and already I just like feel like my life is completely different. I've got so much energy and other people are in there like, I'm, I'm a month and a half in and I'm still feeling kind of sluggish. And so it's, I think, yeah, a tendency to sort of almost want like an immediate change. And it's not always that that's going to be the case. And so really sticking with it, um, if it is more challenging in the beginning and knowing that over time you are going to be building that mental muscle, your body will be detoxing from the substance and just trusting that over time, even if it's not happening immediately, you will start to see the benefits. This is why, so my second book, The Sober Curious Reset, which you mentioned, actually takes people through 100 days of not drinking. And I know that is an intimidating amount of time. That's like a third of a year, three, just over three months. But in my experience, and anecdotally amongst so many of the people that I've kind of, you know, connected with on this path over the past 10 years, that amount of time, you can pretty much be guaranteed you're going to be feeling, you're really going to be feeling the benefits. After yeah, I months, love that. You know, too. when I work with women, actually 100 days is what I recommend. Right. 30 Amazing. days, that milestone can be kind of tricky because some people, you know, your brain can just say, yeah, I'm feeling better, but I did 30 days. I'm going to forget about the three years that I couldn't get four days and I'm probably better. I can drink again and stop whenever I want. But if you go on longer, if you go for a hundred days, you go through these ups and downs and you mm-hmm. have to go to a wedding or a holiday or a birthday celebration, not drinking and sort of experimenting and seeing what's better. And I agree. Once you get to a hundred days, typically people are like, I can't imagine going back to living the way I was before. I want to see how good I feel at six months, you know, and just kind of moving those mileposts. Exactly. And if you really think about it in the grand scheme of your whole life, (laughs) Three months is really, it's a, such a small slice of time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, but I, I appreciate it. it can sound intimidating and definitely for anyone who is interested and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, people are still in their dry January and they're like, what you want me to do February, March too? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do your January, see how you go. But I think it is really worth mentioning that if you can just give it that little bit longer um, and resource yourself, whether it's with a coach, therapist, community support. Um, the soap, my book, The Sober Curious Reset, is kind of like a day by day kind of check in companion guide to take you through that hundred days. Honestly, it came out in December twenty nineteen, 
So, but it, so it's it's been this past year. No, hold on, twenty twenty. Yeah, sorry, I sort of feel like we've lost a year, which we have in a way. So over this past year, I've just been seeing people complete this hundred days, and overwhelmingly, what I, what I hear is exactly what you just shared. Yeah. I cannot imagine why I would go back. And so even if after that extended break, people are occasionally having a drink here and there, they're far less likely to slip back into old habits because the habit really has been broken after three months. You yeah. know? And so you've really got tons, tons of resources, tons of information, tons of lived experience to actually yeah. inform your drinking choices going forward, whatever they might be. And I have to say, you know, they always do. I don't typically use the word recovery, but maybe it's knowledge, maybe it's curiosity or experience, but they say recovery really ruins you for drinking. And I found, I actually, I took about three or four months off uh, the first time I quit drinking. And then I went back, I, then I got pregnant. So I technically took a year off, but it really was three or four months and I learned a lot. I joined some of the secret groups. I had read all the Quitlet. I actually felt so much better. And after my daughter was born, I had sort of disconnected during the time of my pregnancy. And my mind was going, maybe I'm better. I left my stressful job. I'm in this new phase. I'm happier. Not attributing the fact that I was so much happier because I wasn't drinking and ingesting right. this like <laughs> depressant and anxiety-inducing drug. But I went back to drinking, thinking that it would be like a couple glasses of wine, you know, on a date night with my husband. And I have to say, like, within a month, I had, you know, the wine back in my house. Within two months, I was drinking daily. Within three months, I was drinking a bottle of wine or more a night. So it took me 22 months to stop again which right. is awful because I was not having fun during that time. I mean, sometimes I was, but a lot of it was like passed out on the couch and waking up at 3 a.m. Um, but I did know enough. I knew that I felt so much better without it. I knew what alcohol did to me. I knew every morning when I woke up, this is unsustainable. So yeah. even having that period, you'll get there eventually because you you have the information. Exactly. And thank you for sharing that. I think it that to me just illustrates exactly how powerful of a drug alcohol is, which we don't often think about because it's legal, because it's so socially acceptable and readily available, because it's so glamorized. We don't think about alcohol in the same category as a drug like heroin and cocaine, but it's actually, it, it is as addictive as these very hardcore um, substances, you know? Yeah. And so um in terms of, there's a whole chapter on this in Sober Curious called The Nature of the Beast. And it just kind of helps to explain, look, there's nothing, you're not, if you, if you find your willpower lacking in this area, or you find yourself moderating or going back to it, quitting and going back to it multiple times, there's nothing wrong with you. It's kind of designed that way. Yeah. You know, like you're up against a really, really powerful adversary here. So just kind of keep at it. And like you said as well, once you've, the more, the more lived experience, the more positive memories around sobriety you can gather for yourself and kind of have in your backpack and have in your memory bank, the more you'll be able to, like you said, every time you wake up having had another binge when you hadn't planned to, when you really hadn't want to, you wake up, you're hating yourself. Why did I do that again? I'm so weak. I'm a failure. I'm pathetic. Uh, you can remind yourself, but wait, I, all, I know I don't have to feel this way. And I know how good I can feel when I wake up without any alcohol in my system. And that is a really, really powerful motivator. So I'm a big fan. I mean, typically it takes, I mean, it took me probably 
yeah, from first questioning my drinking in like 2010 to until sort of three, three years ago, really only around the time that the, the first book came out that I fully kind of like fully quit. Um, so yeah, it took me about seven years of backwards and forwards and experimentation and being curious and gathering information and loving myself through all of it anyway, <laughs> as much as I could. Yeah. Hating myself at times, being really disappointed with myself at times and just kind of keeping going with it and keeping trusting those glimmers of like, mm -hmm. but life feels so good when I don't, you know, yeah. life feels so good when I don't, even the hard times are better actually, when I don't. And that's such a myth as well. I think during the pandemic, so many people came to lean on alcohol as a way to manage stress, anxiety, and just to escape, honestly, from this very kind of like locked down situation that we found ourselves in. Like alcohol provides an escape hatch from our life. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's such a trick because we're not really escaping anywhere good. You know, yeah. we're not really escaping anywhere we go. And and the reality is we we can't actually escape from our lives. Our life is our life. And the more we can learn to just kind of like show up for it day in, day out, whatever is presenting, the more resilience we develop, the more, the more confidence we develop in our own capacity to kind of like get through and make things work even when they don't feel like they are. So all of that stuff is really um, character building, but it's definitely not, I think it's important to just kind of, acknowledge there's no quick fix mm -hmm. to 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 quitting drinking or even to kind of like really changing your drinking habits going forward it's yeah. always a case of trial and error it's always going to be even people who are going to rehab and who are going to 12-step programs they'll be in and out often multiple times before it actually sticks oh my gosh can we talk about perimenopause menopause and postmenopause for a minute I am 48 so if you're going through it I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. And it is a process. I mean, I remember the first time that I was worried about my drinking and sort of wrote down, like, maybe I have a problem. I was reading Drinking a Love Story. My son was six months old. And I stopped that first time when he was five. And I stopped for the last time when he was eight. And that was almost six years ago. But you know, during that process, I, you know, was walking into work being like, oh my God, I should stop. This is bad. What's wrong with me? Um, and then reading and, you know, researching and following different things. And so, 
you know, it is if you're in that place where you you're frustrated that you've been stopping and starting and stopping again, all of that is progress. The fact that you're listening to this means you are sober curious, you think or you have hope that your life would be better without alcohol, which is what you say in the book. And I I love that because it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're making progress. So if it's the first week, the second week, the third week of January, start again and add more resources, um, mm-hmm. add some help, add community. Absolutely. Exactly. It really is all a process. It's all and it's all valuable. You know, I even talk in the book about like, <laughs> you know, I, I quit calling them relapses at a certain point. And I was like, no, it's just another reminder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just another reminder of why I don't do this. Okay. I got another reminder, you know? Yeah. Um, the longer periods of abstinence you can get under your belt, the easier it will be to rebound and not go deeply back into it again. I do believe that just from what I've seen and from my own experience, but of course, again, and a part of the sober curious message that's probably different from more traditional approaches to, again, recovery, the R word, which I don't particularly use for this. I do love, I love the concept of recovery and I'll explain to you if you're interested what I do like about it. But um, the difference really is that um, this is not really about a one size fits all approach. It's super, super bespoke to you, the individual, and it's really designed to kind of like meet you exactly where you are at with your individual needs, with your experiences, with your life challenges rather than just this sort of like, here's a program, follow these steps and you will come out the other side, kind of quote unquote cured. That works for some people. I knew it was never going to work for me. And so, because I also didn't identify as an alcoholic. I mean, if to define my drinking when I first got sober curious, I was drinking probably four, 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 four nights a week, maybe five max. I'd always make sure I'd have at least two, three days of no drinking at all. One or two glasses of wine during the week a bit of a binge at the weekend. And yes, I was a a weekend binge drinker, but everybody in my social circle drank the same amount, if not more than I did. I never missed a day of work. I never blacked out. Um, I never got sick. Like I never had any of these kind of like really negative side effects that are what we think problem drinking looks like. I was a normal drinker. I was a normal social drinker. And yet I knew that this substance I just had an intuition that the substance was taking more from me than I was taking from it, you know? Yeah. And so, and sometimes I feel like if you're, if you're, if you've never reached a really, really bad rock bottom, sometimes it can take a lot longer to actually quit because you've got no kind of urgent, desperate need to quit. Right. And so you can kind of like, you can ride that, "Mm, not really loving it, but Hey, I'm still, I'm still getting everything done. Still showing up. Yeah still successful, all these things. And yet something's just not quite right. For me, it was just kind of constant anxiety. I just had constant anxiety. I wasn't sleeping through the night. Everything would stress me out. Everything would have my mind just racing, 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 anxiety. I felt like I was constantly on edge. Yeah. And so I was the exact same way. And And I I didn't attribute it to alcohol. No, not at all. For me, alcohol was how I relaxed. It was how I switched all of that off it was how I actually got to just kind of like kick back and be present with my friends and like have fun and so it was only when I started experimenting with removing it that I realized 
which I think Annie Grace talks about in This Naked Mind. And that book was a real game changer for me as well, just in the kind of mindset shift around alcohol. It was only when I realized, when I removed it, that I realized actually how much real estate it was taking up in my life. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I'm glad that you said it's not one size fits all or not a formula because I think the idea and even women who are listening to this, a lot of them think it's either 12 step or rehab or nothing. And I feel like that's really changing because I also don't identify as an alcoholic. I identify as someone who used to drink and quit because I feel much better without it. And you know, also it's addictive and also it causes anxiety and depression and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I went to some 12 step meetings and it just didn't resonate with me. Like I was rebelling against internally against all the concepts and dogma and instructions, despite Mm -hmm. meeting the most lovely people in there. And so I partially too was like, well, if this is, I don't, I don't go to church. I'm not religious. I was like, if this is the option, I don't want that. And Mm -hmm. so I think that what I love about your book is it goes through in detail, really highlighting the benefits of not drinking, including, you know, obviously the negatives, the tooth grinding, waking up at 3 a.m., feeling awful, but also, you know, the idea that that alcohol is really a state, you said, and I circled it, a second rate stand in for the joy, inspiration, confidence, connection, and overall sense of aliveness that you know, once you gave it up. Right, exactly. We have access to all of the things that we think alcohol is going to give us. We have access to all of those feeling states, all of that relaxation, all of that joy, all of that happiness, all of that connection, all the things that you just listed, right? We have access to all of that. We're naturally designed to generate these positive feelings within us. And of course, so many things about our lives today make that really, really hard, you know? Yeah. But when we're using alcohol to to try to access those naturally generated positive feeling states, we're sort of like outsourcing our own ability to generate these feelings for ourselves to a substance, which ultimately, yeah, takes a huge physical toll on our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. So again, it's only when we remove it that we sort of start to I don't know. I think I, I, and I'm curious to hear how, how you feel about this. I just, I, in, it's certainly in the early days and it's kind of like the, it's worn off a bit now, but I think only because I'm just more used to it now, but I would find the subtlest things would make me smile mm-hmm. or make me laugh. Things that I would have just have missed when I was using alcohol for all of my sort of joy and, and relaxation, because I was so kind of on this one track work, yeah. Drink, work, drink, work, drink, you know? So now I'm now I'm just like, wow, I'll, you know, I'll go out for a walk at the end of my work day and just have my breath taken away by the sunset and just like sit and look at the sunset for five minutes and like feel so at peace just from yeah. that, which sounds kind of cheesy <laughs> in a way in this world where we we live in this really high octane kind of world where There's all of these fancy, flashy things for us to buy and consume to make us feel good. We forget that actually feeling good does is generated from within and that very simple experiences can actually make us feel really good when we kind of 
remove some of those very, very kind of like, like I said, high octane, like dopamine saturated experiences of which alcohol, alcohol is just one of many, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, I love that you, you said that about your sort of outsourcing your ability to feel joy at normal stimulus, normal things in life. And then the dopamine, because I actually interviewed Anna Lemke, who wrote Dopamine Nation on this podcast. And she gave such a great description about how drinking or any drugs um, actually suppresses your body self-regulates to bring down your level of dopamine that your body naturally produces. And you're not imagining it that you're less happy when you're not drinking. That is physically true until you get further away from it. So you can reset your levels and feel that joy. And I remember, you know, I was probably 45 days after quitting drinking two months before I stopped. I was like, I need to quit my job. I'm miserable. I can't cope. Everything's too much. I feel like I'm going to break. And I was driving into work, got out of the car. I live in Seattle, Washington, and was walking across the parking lot at 8 a.m. And Mount Rainier was out and all these birds were taking off from this field. And all of a sudden, I felt this pure joy and was like, I love my life. And it was 8 a.m. heading into work on like a Tuesday. (laughs) And I was just like, wow. You know, I love that. I love that. Yes. And I think what Anna Lemke speaks about is so true. You know, she talks about how we live in this kind of like we live in a world that's kind of designed to overstimulate our dopamine system, our dopamine responses. So we're almost living in a constant state of withdrawal when we're not getting high on whatever our substance of choice is. Alcohol, as we've discussed, being one of the most socially acceptable, readily available drugs that there is. But I mean, I, you know, I definitely have experienced workaholism. I definitely experienced email addiction, social media addiction, shopping addiction. Although it's funny with me and shopping addiction, I never actually buy anything. My shopping addiction is just kind of like obsessing over finding the perfect thing and then spending hours on different apps trying to find it and comparing prices. And then I almost, I never buy it. And it's almost like, I know that the pleasure for me comes from the like looking for it that's when the dopamine is kind of like really coursing, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. the kind of like seeking it. So I have to employ what she describes as self-binding techniques and just delete all the apps off my phone. Yeah. Well, she even describes that, that the dopamine hit is before you take the first drink. It's when you anticipate. So when you stop debating and you kind of say, fuck it, that's when you get the dopamine hit. And it's because of your reward system, your cue craving reward response. So it's sort of like Pavlov's dogs, right? Where initially they were salivating at the food and eventually they were salivating at the bell, you know? Right. Exactly. Which is just, I think it's really empowering to understand that actually it's in our power to disrupt that. And also that that dopamine reward system is being manipulated and stimulated like constantly and purposefully. So, Mm -hmm. and this is what Anna speaks about as well, is that it's actually on us as individuals to develop the coping, the resilience, the resources, the awareness to not get get caught up in those, in those kind of cycles of craving. Yeah. And if it's a conditioned response, you can change it. Like that's the good, exactly. Build new habits. You can build Mm -hmm. new rewards. 
exactly. So she also talks about, um, you know, doing a dopamine fast to reset, use this word too, to reset our dopamine um, levels, basically, um, so that we can experience joy at, at, at the sight of a sunrise or, you know, birds flying over a mountain <laughs> on the way to work. I love that that was your moment. That's some, that's so sums it up. <laughs> and that's exactly what a dry January is in essence it's a dopamine fast yeah you know you're really giving your is. body you're giving us your brain and your neural pathways an opportunity to reset and with a substance like alcohol if you've been using it daily potentially even a little bit longer can help because because you know so I, I know all about this because I also interviewed Anna for my podcast awesome. <laughs> just recently I love her <laughs> right exactly um, and she was talking about how many of many people naturally want to, to want to know, can I moderate? Can I cut back my drinking? Can I still have a glass of wine at the weekend? You know, can I drink like a quote unquote normal person? Although I don't know if that really exists. And she will say to them only after you have done a dopamine fast, you must reset before you can even think about bringing it back in. So this is what the sober curious reset, the hundred day reset is all about. Mm -hmm. This is a dopamine fast and it's a, a good length. It's a, it's a solid length, mm -hmm. but as you shared, you were, you didn't drink for a year. Yeah. And that wasn't really long enough, or at least it didn't, it, you I, may have been fully reset at that point. However, it doesn't take long of being back into it yeah. to kind of get back into that same cycle again, particularly if it is something that your, your, your brain and your system is kind of used to, and will therefore kind of latch quite easily back onto. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that that I say is that once you get sober momentum, it is precious and it is hard to get. And anyone who's yes. tried to stop drinking or only drink once a week or only have two glasses a night, a lot of women for years and been unsuccessful know that when you get 30 days, 60 days, 100 days, that is really precious. And it's kind mm -hmm. of in my mind, not worth fucking with by right. drinking and rolling yeah. the dice to see whether seven days later, you're like, oh, I'm going to say fuck it again or say fuck it again. And I think the first time I didn't, I stopped one, I didn't do the mental work. I didn't do the work that you do in the sober curious book about truly what's better, what I'm enjoying, how my life is changing what's mm. improved. Because when I stopped drinking that first time, I also left my very stressful job and I took a sabbatical for three or four months and then I was pregnant. So right. I attributed the fact that I felt so much better to the fact I wasn't going to work mm. and the fact that I was doing yoga and going running and then pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't consciously attribute and focus on how good I was feeling and how much was changing simply because I wasn't drinking alcohol. And I think when yeah. you're aware of that, you're when you talk about alcohol being a second rate stand in, and the hangovers, you open sober curious talking about the awful hangover, and we all know what that feels like. You don't want to go back to that if you mm -hmm. kind of do the mental work and actually fill up your life with really awesome people and things when you're not exactly. drinking. Exactly. And I think, again, it's just proof of how seductive not only the substance, the marketing of the substance is the fact that we can gain so much of this hard, hard one. It's like I'm almost getting a vision of like mining for diamonds. You know, this is hard work. You're not going to you do this with your bare hands. You're going to like 
there's going to be some calluses on your hands, right? But you've got a diamond at the end of it. It's so seductive that we forget. It's so easy to forget. So I will share something with you. In the past three years that I haven't drunk, I have had a glass of wine on two occasions because still, even with everything I know, I would said, I'd thought, well, I'm, I'm curious about the taste or like, I just, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a really, really intense month and I just want to, but I went into it fully conscious, fully eyes open with all of my sober curious, like Intel right there. And you know, what was so interesting was that on both occasions, it just felt kind of shit. Like it wasn't enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enjoyable. So I think two, two occasions of just like testing the theory, (laughs) actually that didn't, that didn't taste great. And it definitely didn't feel great in my body. was was again, more information. Yeah. You know, no, it definitely is. And I think for me, and I've seen this with other women, like if you sort of break the seal, you're like, you know, it's when you go off a diet, sometimes you're like, Oh God, I've already ruined it. So I might as well drink a bottle. Like I already ruined my streak. And so that's something that I'm conscious of, but I've gotten really into all the great non-alcoholic drinks. Like, so you know, I just tried Groovy's non-alcoholic red blend and I, I drink their Prosecco and bubbly rosé and I love athletic non-alcoholic beer. So, you know, the idea of like the taste, the experience, the moment, I just found substitutes for Absolutely. that. Yeah, me too. And I'm so grateful. It really has been over this exact same time period since my book came out that there have been just this explosion of amazing yeah. alcohol-free options coming through. So yes, I likewise yeah, enjoy all of those products that you just mentioned. No, uh, and then also like when you need a break or relax or a hard month, you know, I've gotten much better in sobriety about being like, I need to take some days off at work or mm. I need a massage or I need to get out of Dodge with my best friend and not with my husband and not with my kids. Um, So I always am like, just tap into if you want to drink, that's pretty normal. But like, think about, okay, you want to drink, but you're not drinking right now. You've made this commitment. You want to see how good you feel at the end of it. Why do you want to drink? Like, what's the emotion that you're trying? Is it you're bored or lonely or feel like you're missing out on the celebration? Because there are a million ways to solve for that. We've just gotten really lazy about like mm-hmm. the easy button of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, it's lazy, but also conditioned. Yes, you know? you're it's, right. It's, you're right. It's the conditioning and it's the availability and it is the very sticky psychological residue yeah. around this thing brings me pleasure. This is how I relax. Yeah. You know, the first time I had a glass of wine, it was like, I think August, 2020. So it was like, you know, middle of the pandemic middle of the George Floyd kind of protests in New York. It was yeah. just, everything felt so intense and it really felt like there was no escape, that escape thing again. And so yeah. of course, even with everything I know, my brain still went to a glass of wine to escape. Yeah. But like I said, it just didn't, it didn't work for me in the way that it used to, because I had become, I developed so much awareness around yes. how my body feels, how my body responds. All it felt was just kind of like dull, numb, not pleasurable, not happy. It, it didn't bring me what I wanted. And so actually I was able to just say, no, okay, that, that doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. That, it was a good experiment. Exactly. Yeah. 
And I do think that the pandemic has obviously presented its own very specific, huge challenges in terms of how do I find alternative ways to relax, switch off, unwind. Took away a lot of the things that we use to relax, like exactly. going to a workout class, going out to a restaurant, exactly. going to yoga, going to work and going out for going coffee. to see a friend. I mean, like, you yeah. know, just even Taking going trips, to see a therapist a vacation. in person, it, <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. And it was scary and we were trapped. And I, I think that one of the studies came out that binge drinking went up 40% yes. during the pandemic and most high for parents of two to five-year-olds. Yes. Which understandably. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, you know, because a lot of times they have daycare or they have school yeah. or, you know, you're not 24 seven trying to do your job and constantly right. with children without childcare. Yeah. I mean, it's like impossible. I just, I don't have kids, but I just can't even imagine how, what that situation has been like people. And I think it's important just to pinpoint people are coming out of sort of the end of this year feeling like, well, things might have got a bit out of control. It's understandable. It doesn't mean you're not, there isn't going to be work to do to kind of like reset and kind of get back to where you need to be. But I think just again, be kind to yourself. This is not about you being a a weak willed person or it's not even about you having like an addictive brain or like whatever it is. It's not, it's been a very challenging time. This is a tricky enough substance at the best of times. And so just be kind to yourself, like what's, what's done is done all good. And where are you, where are you, where are you wanting to go from here? Yeah. Like is alcohol making my life better? Do I want something different in my life? One of the things you've said in the nature of the beast chapter, you went through three pieces and I think this feeds into what you were saying about don't beat yourself up. This is tricky. You said that you have a theory, which I actually totally agree with. And I was laughing when you were saying, quote unquote, normal drinker, because you suggest that anyone who drinks on a regular basis is probably kind of just a little bit addicted. And I truly believe that's true. And then you go into three reasons and probably more about why that's true, which Mm -hmm. is you know, the biology of it, the brains are designed to seek that dopamine, you know, it's designed to put you in withdrawal when you're not drinking. So you want it again. It's so heavily marketed. I mean, we've been brainwashed since birth to think Mm -hmm. that alcohol is like the end all be all that we need to make any occasion special. And then the third one was about the addictive substance, how addictive it is. So I think you said addictive drinking is actually fairly standard. And I 100% agree with that. Right. So oftentimes in the beginning, I described the way my drinking life looked to you, you know? Um, And in the beginning, when I first started speaking to friends, you know, I remember saying to my best friend, you know, I'm really just, I think I'm going to, I'm really going to assess, reassess this. And I'm going to cut back massively, if not kind of like, you know, stop for a bit. She'd be like, but wait, but you don't have a problem. But you don't have a problem. You only drink to have more fun, you know? And I was like, define, I didn't say this to her, but I might, you know, now I've come to this sort of understanding, which is like, well, define problem. My, the problems that alcohol was causing me back then didn't look like the textbook, like this is alcoholic drinking, you must stop. The The problems that alcohol was causing me then were very internal. They were only really perceptible to me. And yet they were there with me 
all day, every day. I was obsessing about alcohol. I wasn't sleeping, constant anxiety, often in tears at just the most kind of, and it's that similar thing about like, I had my dream job at the time. I was working for this really cool magazine. It was a dream job, got to do great assignments. My boss loved me. And I would sit at my desk just being like, is this it? (laughs) Is this it? And it was, it felt, oh my God, I'm so entitled. And like, Jesus, what more do I want? You know, I kind of, there was so much self-hatred in my questioning of like, how am I not satisfied with this? But yeah, I was in depression. Yeah. Because of the alcohol that I was consuming. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I did need to, ultimately, my dream job, it turns out, is working for myself, Um, being able to make my own schedule as much as there's, you know, financial instability that comes with that. It's actually really, really hugely valuable to me. It sounds like maybe we're similar. I have a very rebellious nature too. And I like to just kind of like live my life like on my terms, Mm -hmm. not in any kind of wild out there way, but I just really like being able to kind of direct my days the way I want to. So partly, yeah, I was feeling a bit trapped in this kind of nine to five, but ultimately, yeah, the problems, my, my drinking problem was mental and emotional. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't manifesting as as really difficult problems kind yeah. of in my daily life. So, yeah, when people were saying to me, but you don't have a problem, I was like, well, let's just define problem. Maybe yeah. a drinking problem could look different for everyone, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I also like love positioning it just as a health kick. I mean, everybody talks about, mm. you know, they're training for a 5K or they just got a new Peloton or they're doing this, you know, juice fast. And I'm like, why don't you know, I just kind of was like, I'm getting rid of alcohol for 100 days as a health kick. Right. You know, a lot of people go, right. Oh, my God, I could never do that. But which is know, interesting. Yeah. Then it's right. like, why not? Yeah. Why like not? you can, then you can you have can a good do, conversation. You can do intermittent fasting like for years. I'm like, oh my God. I couldn't do intermittent crazy. fasting for like two days. Oh my God. I was like, so Simple. you're start. No, we aren't going to go into that. But like you could do that and you couldn't give up alcohol. Like, so I mean, it says so much, right? Yeah. About how attached we are to the substance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And so you take people through, you said, your problems with alcohol were emotional and mental. And Mm -hmm. what I think is great is the way you take people through in the book, each one of those sort of limiting beliefs, fears, but not just like you talk about FOMA, fear of missing alcohol, fear of missing out, the idea that life will be dull and monotonous and you'll lose your friends. And a lot of us are like, hey, that's not true, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have all my same friends, you know, some of them dropped off, but other ones got closer. Um, But you take people through like, literally how to do it, like how to socialize sober and how to think about it. And, you know, you have a sober socializing checklist in the book. And I think that's just brilliant, like changing dinners to daytime brunches and that kind of stuff. Because Mm -hmm. I find it's like the practical implementation, the block and tackling, that's what's hard. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course 
that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Right. In the beginning. Yes. Because it's so alien to us. You know, I had been using alcohol as a social lubricant from like age 15. I didn't really know how to be in social situations without alcohol, but only because I hadn't done it. Yeah. And so, yes, nowadays I socialize a lot differently to how I did in my drinking days. And I think that's very natural, like bars, nightclubs, late nights, in general, are not designed for non-drinkers necessarily. Like our bodies aren't designed to stay up all night, kind of like <laughs> dancing every every weekend necessarily. Although some people might still absolutely love that. And I've had fantastic experiences going to clubs sober, going to rave sober, like had a sober holiday in Ibiza and went to all the nightclubs. And it was just so much fun, you know, to see yeah. it through a different, it was almost like being on a different kind of drug. Like sobriety was its own altered state in those situations um but yeah I mean your social life will change your friendship group will probably move around a little and I think that's very natural and I think about it almost like any life change when you become a parent your social life changes and your friendship group shifts when you start a new job if you move to a different city yeah like any of these kind of major life changes will bring about these same shifts to your the way that you socialize and who you socialize with um, but we don't view those kind of changes in, with the same kind of fear that we do necessarily around removing alcohol. Yeah. Well, and also you're allowed to grow and transform and change and have new experiences. And that's positive. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at your life now, the way you're drinking, I know the way I'm drinking, I looked out 10 years from then and was like, I don't want to be living this way a decade from now feeling stressed and hungover and going to work. And then at 6 p.m. desperately wanting my bottle of wine and then not remembering the end of shows. I was like, holy shit, this is not how I want to be living right. 10 years from now. So do I want to make a shift now to something better? And something different. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you in the book also talk about core desired feelings. 
And I wanted to talk about that because I, um, back in the day, read Danielle Laporte's um, The Desire Factor, and I love that concept. So can you tell me about Core Desired Feelings and how you kind of dig into it in this book? I suppose the Core Desired Feelings is, how, what do, how do I actually want to feel? And then really getting curious about like, what are the best ways? What, like, what can I actually do in my life? What decisions are actually leading me towards that feeling or away from that feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Di- Danielle Laporte talks about with her desire mapping kind of concept is sort of like, you identify like, this is how I would like to be feeling, or this is a feeling I would like to be experiencing more of. And then you kind of work backwards to like, okay, are these choices, decisions, beliefs, even actions in alignment with me experiencing more of this? But of course, as we've discussed, like for many of us, we associate a feeling of joy or levity or hilarity or relaxation with alcohol. So I think when thinking, I want to feel more relaxation, it is. And I think you, you know, you gave us some great examples of like what the things that you do to relax. For me, it's things like, I just need to go to bed earlier. Yeah. And honestly, there is nothing more relaxing for me than creating a day when I have nothing in my schedule. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a phone, even if it's a phone call with a friend, like nothing, if there's just literally a, di- a, di- a day in my calendar where there's literally nothing at all, I can literally feel everything or every cell in my body just kind of goes, ah. yeah, <laughs> it's partly because I've also learned something I always suspected and something I absolutely used alcohol to kind of like cover up or change about myself. I'm a huge introvert. Mm-hmm. I, it takes a lot of energy for me to be with people, whether it's on a podcast interview, whether it's in a, at a dinner, whether it's in a group, whether it's with my, a phone call with my mom, whatever it is, it just takes a lot of energy for me to kind of like be with yeah. other people. I have a natural need for a lot of alone time, a lot of solitude, a lot of quiet. Yeah. And so knowing that about myself, if I'm ever feeling too overhyped, I know I've got too many, I've got too much in my calendar. And so my thing is I just need to remove things. I just yeah. need to remove things. And feel okay about that, you know. Yeah. I, we before we got on the on the recording, you were talking about you know how common sort of people pleasing tendencies are amongst particularly high achieving women, right? And and I can absolutely relate to that myself. I used to feel so much guilt about canceling people off my calendar, even though I deeply knew that I needed that extra space, just that extra breathing room to kind of like regroup and recoup. But now I know how important that is, actually. And so I no longer feel the same guilt about, yeah, just having things happen on my terms, which is not the same as kind of like shunning all my responsibilities and like never showing up. I know that's not who I am. That's not going to happen. I have to trust myself. If my body is saying, no, I need a day with nothing in the calendar, you know, and just know that that will ultimately prevent me from then reaching, being more likely to reach for alcohol, for being more vulnerable to those yeah. those cravings or that little voice in my head, which is, you know, virtually not there anymore, which will be like, have a glass of wine. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think it's so important to, you know, you think I want to drink. And then when you think why, you know, what emotion are you trying to exactly. cultivate? That's what you want. And I, you know, I was smiling when you said, just take everything off your calendar and go to sleep early. So my thing is, you know, I talk to clients all day and listen all day and love it and do podcasts. And then I have kids 
and dinner. And I had to tell my husband, cause he'd always be like, what are you not? What are you doing? But I was like, okay, after dinner, it's not that I don't love you guys. I need two hours to zone out and not talk to anyone. And he laughs at me because apparently I'm a 16 year old girl. Like I've watched every 16 year old high school drop, like Veronica Mars and, you know, One Tree Hill. I mean, there's no redeeming value to any of this. I just watched, what was it? It was um, Riverdale. It doesn't matter, like hours of it. But I'm just like, I just need this. I need to like be absorbed in someone else's life. And, you know, and then I do bedtime and all the things, but I was like, I'm done talking and listening. I just want to absorb. But once you realize that, it helps so much. And it's not, I'm sounding really, really boring. I'm also going on a yoga retreat uh, next week to Mexico. So it's not that boring in my life, but still. Well, I don't know. I don't think there's anything boring about feeling relaxed and like you actually have the capacity to be there for the people that you need, that need you. It's like, yeah, since when did we decide it was boring to need time for ourselves or just to like do nothing or like just, I don't know. Um, There's so much pressure on us to perform so many different roles and to show up in certain ways, right? In order to be accepted, in order to feel like we're loved, in order to feel like we're doing our dutiful thing. Um, and the labeling, labeling me time, real me time. A lot of people will reach for a glass of wine because that's me time, right? But ultimately, again, we know the cost of that. Labeling me time or doing nothing time or kicking back and watching a cheesy movie time as boring or pathetic or whatever it might be is just more stigma around yeah. actually us giving ourselves the self-care and yeah. the space that we need to recharge. I, I loved reading reading this quote and I just saved it because it was so perfect. It was like, can we stop calling things we enjoy guilty pleasures? Why can't they just be pleasure? You know, like, why do we have to feel guilty? And I hate the word selfish. Like, it's like, oh, it seems so selfish to do this. I was like, why don't you flip that to I'm just taking care of myself, you know, just the way that you know, you're the only person who can take care of yourself and know what you need mentally and emotionally. And it's okay to do that. Exactly. Why is it selfish to have a boundary basically around your time? Because we're so much more valuable to everybody else when we have no boundaries and they can just get what they need from us whenever they need it. Yeah. But which, you know, great. Yes. I want to be there for people. I want to, I want to show up for people. I want to show up for my clients, for my family, for my husband, for my you know, my, my work even, but I also, in order to do that, I need to be fully recharged. Right. And so it's not selfish yeah, <laughs> to, to give that to myself. And I think I, I can't remember if it's in the chapter you were mentioning, but I do go through, I was like, I list all the things that we could potentially want to feel when we're reaching for alcohol. I want to feel connection. I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel joyful. I want to feel these different things. And I talk and I give kind of suggestions for other ways that we might experience all of these different feeling states or access these things we're looking for in alcohol. I can't remember what all the suggestions are, but, and obviously they'll be different for everyone as well. Yeah. And I love how practical it is because a lot of the women I know who drink a lot and I'm including myself in this, like we get shit done. We're multitaskers. We take care of everyone else. We're smart. It's just, you know, and then we beat ourselves up. Like, why is drinking the one thing that Mm. I can't fix or control or manage, more manage, 
And part of it's just giving practical alternatives that we've never thought of because it's not what's pushed on us. Right, exactly. But also, why is it so hard to give up? Because maybe that is the only time that's designated me time. Yeah. So what's yeah. that telling? What tells me? I need me I need me time as well as doing all these other kind of superwoman things. I need me time. That's valid. Yeah. And if I'm not going to give myself permission to just take that, yeah. then I'm going to disable my brain and my mind with this substance that forces me to take a break, basically. Yeah. And the by the way, it's addictive, right? <laughs> and by the way, it's super addictive and will be shoved in your face as something that you need at every given opportunity. And if so, you yeah, say without that doubt, you wanna, don't want to drink tonight, you'll be pressured to do it. So exactly. those are the other reasons, but exactly. I 100% agree with you. Exactly. So I could talk to you all day. I love this conversation. But if someone's interested in picking up Sober Curious or the Sober Curious Reset or looking up your group, what should they know? Like, what's your what's your favorite thing about the books or the approach that you want people to know coming in? The thing, the feedback I was getting constantly when it first came out Um and I'm, I'm presuming people still feel this way, um, was that this is super non-judgmental. There can be a lot of kind of right, wrong. I don't know. It, it can feel like it's a very judgy space, like everyone has an opinion about it and there's yeah. this way you should be doing it and this thing you should be doing. And this is really, like I said at the beginning, I think this is about just meeting you wherever you're at and that being perfect. Here you are. Let's look at this. It's super non-judgmental. Throughout the book, multiple times, I'll say, you know, if this is getting tricky, check out an AA meeting. Nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. It's going to cost you nothing. Maybe it will work for you. If it doesn't, cool. Here's other things, you know, just really non-judgmental. I'm not into shaming anybody for any of the choices that they might have made at any point, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I'm really, it's really, it's less about telling you this is the way to go and more about reminding you, you know, you know, what's right for you. You know, what's good for you. Trust that, do that, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are curious because they do see Mm -hmm. the negative parts of alcohol, but nobody starts saying, I'm never going to drink again. Or for me, it was literally my worst case scenario, right? Thought of never drinking again. And you had like, I love that you said you have to start where you are because where I started was just, I didn't want to give up alcohol, but I wanted to stop feeling like shit. And I knew I was feeling like shit because I was drinking. And so that was enough to get started. And then figuring out what else I could do with my time and what felt better and how my body changed. And all that was just, like you said, an experiment that reinforced that this was actually better for me. And then you go through all this shit about how do I talk to people about it? And, you know, the great thing is this is a conversation now, you know, dry January Mm. is a conversation. Being sober curious is a conversation and you're not the first person to do these things. So you can learn from other people. Absolutely. Exactly. Having podcasts like yours, having podcasts like mine, like none of these things existed when I was first getting sober curious. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I'm just really happy to to have created these books and the podcast and the Facebook group, like I said, is really an amazingly supportive space. Um, it's just if you search for Sober Curious Book, the, the header there has images of both the books. Um, it's about 5,000 people there now. 
And it's just, yeah, there's so many resources now that didn't exist even five years ago. I'm, I so need to join is, that group because I'd lo- do. I, I love we need your energy in there. Yes, no, please. it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. So the best pay- place for people to find you, is it your website or the podcast or the group? Um, the podcast is probably the most kind of accessible place to get information. There's a new series just happening currently. It's just the Sober Curious podcast. Um, so yeah, and the books naturally, which you can Perfect. get anywhere you buy your books. Yeah. Well, I will link to all of this in the show notes of this episode, but Thank you so much for coming on and for having this conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.